Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Dino Eggs. Did you know the publisher of Dino Eggs once held a drawing and sent three people to meet real dinosaur experts? You'll hear all about it on this week's episode. But before I get started talking about this week's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. Uh, if you have not been following the YouTube channel over at Amigos Retro Gaming, you might want to check that out. There is a video up that I streamed just yesterday of me playing Dino Eggs for the Commodore 64. So if you want to see what the game looks like and uh, watch some footage and, and see everybody chatting about the game. And also there's a brief intermission where I showed off some pictures of the Toy and Action Figure Museum. Museum, which is located also in Oklahoma. It's in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. We got to talking about that. So uh, if you want to check out that video, head on over to youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming. There's another video up that I uploaded last week of me streaming Double Dragon for the Commodore 64. The Version released for the Commodore 64. There are two versions. There's a US version and a UK version. I played the US version. And it is one, if not the only game I'm aware of where the publishers apologized for a glitch that appears in the game. It's right there in the manual and they apologize for, well, if you just watch the stream, you'll see what happens in the game. So anyway, both those videos are up over at youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming, and there will be links to those videos and all the other news headlines over on uh, the show notes. And someone asked me where the show notes are. So if you're not sure, that is on podcast.robohara.com. You can find this episode and every episode of every podcast I've ever done, and you can see uh, links to any of the news articles that I've mentioned. We started... Boy, this is a, a throwback because a long time ago I used to do a feature on the show called The King of the Castle where I played a secret 8-bit tune towards the end of the episode that was related to the game that I reviewed but not necessarily from the game. Actually, it's never been from the game. And uh, I have brought that feature back, but instead of having one winner, I'm just going to group everybody that gets the entry right as all the kings of the castle for the episode. And so uh, on last week, on the last episode of Sprite Castle, we did the castles of Dr. Creep. And the secret 8-bit song toward the end of the episode was Frankenstein by the Edgar Winter Group, which if you grew up listening to classic rock, it is a instrumental song that a lot of people know, but I guess not a lot of people know the name. But uh, congratulations to all the kings of the castle on this episode, and that includes Dave Zilly, David Motoliak, I hope I got that right, Matt Hill, C. Dubs, Cantankerous, and Ferg from the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. By the way, Ferg just released a new episode, I think yesterday, reviewing Pressure Cooker for the Atari 2600, and that is a great game. So if you're not, I can't imagine people aren't aware of Ferg's podcast, but if you're not, be sure to check out the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. So congratulations 
to all the winners of the Kings of the Castle. We have set up a VIP party room just off the front door of the castle. So everybody has been ushered inside and uh, I'm afraid to open the door. You never know what's going on over there in the party room, but uh, sounds like they're having a good time. So uh, congratulations. Uh, Again, at the end of the episode, you will hear a secret 8-bit version of a song that has something to do with this week's game, but not directly from this week's game. And so if you recognize that and would like to be invited to the castle next week for next week's party, all you got to do is send me an email at robohara at robohara.com. You need to put Kings of the Castle in the title. uh, That way I'll be sure to see it. And just tell me what the song is. And if it's not obvious, uh, what the relation is with the song and the game, you might want to throw that into. So uh, look forward to seeing next week's entries. And again, congratulations to this episode's Kings of the Castle. Uh, for news, we had a update, and I get to actually um, kill two birds with one stone with this. Uh, there was an update for the Commodore or the C64 8-bit mini and maxi Uh, both versions got a firmware update the new firmware update that has been released is 1.5.2 so if you have a v64 mini or a vc64 maxi you might want to go over to retrogames.biz and download the latest firmware update it adds a few very helpful features, and probably the one that most people use is the joystick swapping. Now, this has been a complaint on the system for a long time, that it expects the default it's looking for for the USB joystick is joystick port 2, which most later games on the Commodore 64 use port 2, but obviously two-player games use both ports, and most earlier games use port 1, and so there's a... Um, way that you can force it to swap by by um, appending things to the file name, and there's some other uh, ways to do it. But but uh, now you can do it right from the joystick. You can just hold down a button and, and select A or B on the joystick and swap between joystick ports. So I think that's a, uh, a functionality that's been missing from that system for a long time, and it'll make it a lot more usable. They've also added uh, the ability to use the REU, and that is the RAM expansion unit. And that's, I don't know if there's a lot of games that utilize that, but there certainly are some. And, uh, you know, more so, uh, a lot of utilities um, really benefited from the extra memory. So uh, there's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, oh, and, and uh, another big update, if you use the Mini, it adds a C64 Classic mode, um, which doesn't, may not sound that important, but through the classic mode, you can do disc swapping. So you can finally play multi-disc games on the C64 mini. So if you're still using that as your, your primary Commodore gaming system, uh, that is uh, big news. So, uh, I found out about a lot of the features from, uh, eight bit show and tell, uh, which my friend Robin does. He made a video. And so you can go check out, um, eight bit show and tell on YouTube. And his latest video is all about, all the features that the new firmware adds. So look at that, two news bits for one story. I wanted to give a quick shout-out to Retro Rewind. Uh, the owner, Retro Frank, has become a supporter of the Amigos podcast. And, of course, Boat and Aaron, the hosts of the Amigos podcast, uh, have you know allowed me to be on their feed as well. And we've all become this 
big, giant, happy collective of uh, retro gamers. It's a great group of people to hang out with. And of course, uh, if you um, support their show through Patreon or my show, you also get access to the Discord, um, Pixel Gaiden. Uh, there's a few other groups that uh, their their Patreon supporters are also uh, on this Discord. And so there's lots of chatting about uh, not just retro gaming. Of course, there's a lot of Amiga news and uh, all my Commodore stuff is there and, and just lots of cool stuff. But uh, um, anyway, so Retro Frank uh, and his Retro Retro Rewind. I want to make sure I get that right store. Uh, it's RetroRewind.ca are uh, supporting uh, the podcast. Um, and I did see that he has uh, two BBSs along with the store, the Retro Rewind store, which I should mention um, has uh, a lot of Commodore 64 and Amiga parts. Uh, he has um, like cables for testing and different diagnostic cartridges and things like that. A lot of useful stuff on there, but he also runs two BBSs. There's a Amiga BBS called hysteriabbs.com. And then there is a general non Amiga BBS called the disc shop BBS, which is discshop.ca. So if you're into, um, connecting through Telnet to different BBSs and stuff like that, then uh, you might want to check those out. Again, all these links appear on uh, the show notes. Um, I had a couple of other videos I wanted to mention, uh, just besides the eight bit show and tell one is uh, a new video from 10 Mark, who is another uh, member of the Amigos family and 10 Mark, uh, recently put up a video about, uh, the SX 64 ultra reset. And he talks about this, uh, uh, reset modification or reset that you can add to the SX 64. And man, if you've been a Commodore 64 user, uh, as long as I have, you know that uh, one of the things that was missing from the console was a reset button. That would have been so nice to have. Now, of course, we added that functionality. Some of us got it through cartridges. You know, there's a lot of like Super Snapshot, um, Final Cartridge, all those have uh, added reset buttons. And then some people, like I did, um, actually modified their Commodores where you could, there was a couple of um, different ports uh, or there were some pins on the, I believe it was on the user port where you could solder uh, a wire and, and uh, put a reset button on the side of your C64. That's what I had done as a kid. So, but it's, uh, you know, really convenient to have a reset button instead of just turning off the system, waiting, turning on the system. And you always feel like, oh, you know, just, just a reset takes it a little easier on the old hardware. So, um, uh, that's, uh, uh, a cool thing. So if you want to find out more about the SX64 reset, go check out 10 Mark's video. Uh, and then there's another video I watched this week, and I thought this was really good. This was from a guy uh, who goes by Bastich B, and uh, he uploaded a video to YouTube about the history of epics from 1978 to 1990. Uh, and you know, a lot of, I remember, uh, when I first started seeing the term abandonware and seeing, uh, all these epics games and people were like, Nope, they're, they're gone. It's just abandoned, you know? And I, I was like, how could that happen? Like in the eight bit computer world, Epics was one of the kings. Epics was one of the largest publishers, you know, it was electronic arts and, and epics and, uh, maybe origin. I mean, there was, there was just a few, um, you know, behemoths in the publishing business. And I always wondered what happened to epics. And so this, uh, video talks about 
what happened to Epics, and it also goes through year by year and talks just briefly about every game that was released. So it's really a fun uh, walk down memory lane. So if uh, you want to find out more about the history of Epics, you should go check out that video. There's a couple of new games that I played this week. Uh, well, I, I didn't play this one, but I watched some videos of a new release called Run and Gun. This is a new game from Carlton Hanley, and you can find uh, Run and Gun available over on itch.io for $3. And it looks like a fun game, but I will say this, and, and I hate to, I don't want to criticize a game before playing it, but I saw in the itch.io thread uh, that there's a lot of different complaints about different things. I saw there were some complaints about the control. I saw just a couple of different things. And so I'm kind of, before I buy it, and it's not the money, uh, I've, I've bought, ever since doing Sprite Castle, I've spent so much money on digital downloads. Um, but I'm kind of waiting to see if there's a uh, a bug fix release, maybe a version 1.1, where some of the glitches are taken care of before I buy it. But um, it certainly does look, you know, if you're, you, um, it reminds me in a way like of Metal Slug, you know, if you're just into these games where, uh, you know, it's a, a side scrolling where you have millions of enemies coming at you. Um, well, I mean, there's a reason it's called run and gun. Uh, then you might want to check that out. I also saw another game called eight bit slicks, and this is a, uh, remake of a older game. Um, it's a, a top down racing game and, the difference in this remake is that it supports up to four players and you can play online and this is a free game. So it's called eight bit slicks. And, uh, I took a look at this and it's really fun. You know, I did really enjoy it. Uh, I remember, uh, as a kid, I would go, one of my favorite games was championship sprint, uh, where you would go, you know, and, um, a winner stayed up, you know, you tried to beat all the other racers and stuff. I remember going uh, one time to the arcade and there was this line of people behind me, you know, coming up ready to challenge. I remember seeing, um, David Chambers there, uh, and, uh, Dan Heavey and Matt Hill and C dubs. They were all standing there with their quarters, Kerry Clanton, Zeke Pabsky, Alan Hudgens, Mitsuyama, Ant Page. Steve Sharippa, Mr. Bundy, he had a whole roll of quarters, Hermski, Stephen Burt, Mike McLaughlin, Gary Heather, Darren Folds, and Darren Folds, man, you can't, I mean, he shows up with his Canadian coins, that stuff's not going to work in an American arcade, I don't know what you're thinking, Darren. You got uh, Ride Arbo and Christopher, Christopher has to stand on a little uh, box so he can see up, but uh, he's pretty good at that game. You got Armadon Restel, Olav Hope, David Hearn. John Schaller, Eric Stryanisi, Matt Nicholson, Dave Zilly, Steve Rasmussen, Patrick Markey, Chris Folds, Garrett Allier, Scrap Arcade, Graham Vebke, Rick Reynolds, Scott Lambert, who, by the way, owns an arcade and is probably pretty good at this game, John Morrison, Mark Alley, Jake Nonamaker, John Treholt, Roy Jacobs, and the mysterious Cobra Kai. Uh, unfortunately I never ran into all those guys at an arcade. That would be a fantastic day. But, um, where I have run into those people are on my Patreon page. Those are the people supporting this show and making it happen every week. So if you want to support this show on Patreon, head over to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara, and you can see all the rewards and find out, uh, all the fun stuff that we're doing behind the scenes. And if you don't want to support the show through Patreon, but you want to do something, you can always share links to it on social media and like and review the show on iTunes. 
And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paper boy who delivered today's newspaper right into my birdbath. You may not like the news, but you have to admire the person who delivers it. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. So I have discussed on my blog and, and probably on other podcasts the Nasty Pirates. And the Nasty Pirates are a group of friends that met in high school. And I am one of the Nasty Pirates and a few of my other friends. Uh, there's four of us. There were five, but unfortunately we've lost contact with one. So now there's only four Nasty Pirates. And uh, the Nasty Pirates started as a group of guys in high school who all had CB radios. This would have been in 1990, roughly 89, 90, 91. And CB radios were not popular at that time. If you weren't alive, you know, CB radios were kind of a 70s uh, kind of fad. And But we all put CD, CB radios in our cars so that we had an open campus for lunch. And so we could all leave for lunch and coordinate where we were going to eat lunch. But we didn't, you didn't have to waste time in the parking lot because you had to get out quickly. We didn't have a very long uh, break for lunch. So that was the, the foundation of the Nasty Pirates. And, uh, of course, we've, we've all been friends for 20, 30 years now. <laughs> Gosh, the, the years add up. And um, one of the things that uh, I like to do is throw movie nights for the Nasty Pirates. And I pick a theme, and then I pick a couple of terrible movies. I like to pick movies that are so bad they're good, which if you've ever listened to uh, my podcast, Multiple Sadness, you know that's what I talk about. I haven't done an episode of that in a while, but you know I'm always thinking about bringing it back. Um, but uh, so a couple uh, – well, gosh, it's it's been months, several months now, many months – uh, we had a uh, a movie night where uh, we got together, and uh, the the theme was dinosaurs. And so I showed two movies. One was Velocipaster, uh, which I did cover on uh, Multiple Sadness, and I also showed Tammy and the T Rex, which is a movie about a love triangle between two young men and a woman, and one of the the boys is uh, uh, killed. And his brain is transplanted into a giant animatronic Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> and the love triangle continues. <laughs> uh, it's a great movie. And um, actually, it is um, Paul Walker from uh, Fast and Furious. It's one of his first movie roles. Um, and uh, anyway... So every you know we I gave away I had a trivia contest and I gave away um, some dinosaur themed uh, gloves and a hat and some some other things like that we we have a really good time but uh, one of my friends brought these dinosaur snacks and they are raptor claws I believe they are Jurassic brand Jurassic Park brand uh, raptor claws they remind me of the old. Um, Oh, what were those things like the candy rings that you used to get, you know, ring pop. And, and, uh, you know, these are also a ring. You could put it on your finger and then you have this Raptor claw <laughs> coming off the end of your hand. And, uh, he brought, you know, several of those and I had a few left. So on last night's stream where I played dino eggs, and that's the video that's up on YouTube right now, uh, I actually ate one of the, uh, raptor claws. And I think this is a type of candy that you're supposed to, you know, um, enjoy slowly. You're supposed to, you know, 
keep licking on it or whatever while it's on your finger and, and uh, or use it like a, a sucker or whatever. But I just kind of went to town on it. <laughs> just ate it as quickly as possible. And uh, it was not good. It was not not, not very good. But um, anyway, so that was the uh, the snack for dino eggs was the raptor claws. And, uh, I mean, you can't get more dinosaur related than that. So, that being said, let's get to this week's game, which is Dino Eggs. And by the way, I've been saying this the title of this game wrong for 30 years. Uh, when I was a kid and I saw this, I thought it was Dino's Eggs, like Dino uh, from uh, uh, the Flintstones, you know. But it's obviously, it's Dinosaur, and these are Dino Eggs. So, the game this week is Dino Eggs, which was published for the Commodore 64 in 1983 by Microfun. It is a game for one player that uses joystick controls. Now, Microfun released several games that you're probably familiar with, but they had a pretty short lifespan. Uh, one of their earliest games was Minor 2049er, which was on the Apple, it's on the Commodore, it was on lots of different platforms. They had a, a popular text adventure called Death in the Caribbean in 1983, the same year this came out. Uh, there was a game called The Heist, which uh, I never played, but I looked at it online, and, and it looks vaguely familiar. They published Boulder Dash in 1984, and uh, on Moby Games, it says that they published One-on-One -on -one in 1985. Now, One-on-One -on -one is a, definitely an electronic arts title, so I'm not sure if they re-released it or republished it. I'm not really sure about that. Uh, and then in 1985, they also published a game called Short Circuit, which does not appear to have anything to do with the movie Short Circuit, so that's a an odd choice. Um, listed on the trivia section of Moby Games, it says that Microfun went bankrupt in 1985, leaving all its game authors owned many thousands of dollars. So that is unfortunate, and I believe that uh, um, there. I mean, I couldn't find anything else about them, so they were bankrupt, and and that was it. Now, this game was written by David H. Schroeder. Uh, now, he wrote a game previous to this called Crisis Mountain. Uh, he did work on Short Circuit, and, of course, he did Dino Eggs. And most recently, he did a game that we'll talk about in a little bit called Dino Eggs Rebirth. Uh, he's also listed as contributing artwork to the game War in Middle Earth, which was released in 1989. Uh, Space Ranger, which I believe is a Cinemaware game, and Rockford, the arcade game. Of course, Rockford uh, is uh, you know similar or tied to uh, Boulder Dash. So, uh, did uh, several games, you know, through a, a time period of five, six, seven years, and then according to his website, he graduated from making games and then got a job with Microsoft in the 1990s, where he worked as a program manager on Microsoft Access and Fox Pro. So there you go. You know, and I, I see this over and over again, uh, people that worked in the game industry that moved on to other parts of technology. And I think that's really cool. Um, you know, I remember playing games as a kid in my bedroom and, and you know, my parents like, well, you sure play a lot of games. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of the things I learned about programming on the Commodore 64, I use that same logic today, writing scripts and, and doing things for the government. So uh, at least that's my story. <laughs> 
Um, also listed on the credits is Leonard Bertoni, who did the Commodore 64 conversion of Dino Eggs. Dino Eggs was originally released on the Apple II. He also worked on several games, including Monkey Math, Flash Gordon, Alley Oops, which I definitely played, Swiss Family Robinson, which I also played, Agent USA, Strip Poker, The Halley Project for the Amiga, and the last title he worked on was Daily Double Horse Racing for the IBM PC. According to the game's summary, while on an expedition through time to the prehistoric past, Time Master Tim accidentally brings a case of European measles to that era. He has to return the dino eggs to the present time in order to save them from this epidemic. Tim has to face the dino egg predators, such as spiders and snakes, which will contaminate the eggs. The mother of the eggs also lurks by, and if a fire is not built, she may just step in. Will you be able to save the dinosaur race from extinction? That is the game summary as it appears on Moby Games. There is a lot going on <laughs> in this game. I'm not going to lie. And as we we continue to discuss the mechanics of the game, it may get a little confusing. But I will do my best to explain everything that's happening uh, on the screen. The box of dino eggs on the front of the box there is a, a giant red dinosaur that looks it looks more like a velociraptor than a T-Rex. It's not it's not gigantic like you would imagine a T-Rex to be. Uh and then in the uh, bottom left-hand corner there is a small baby green dinosaur that has just hatched from an egg that's part of the game. Uh, you have Time Master Tim running with an arm tucked under or a uh, egg tucked under his arm like a football. He is wearing a red Skin tight suit, I believe. Um, I mean, it's so tight that it almost looks like he's not wearing clothes at all. Uh, he has these white boots on and he has this long blonde flowing hair that's blowing up. Now, uh, Time Master Tim in the game doesn't look anything like this. He looks like a small little stick person wearing a green helmet. Um, but, you know, sometimes you turn the, uh, the artist loose and say, you know, draw the picture. Here's, here's what's in this game. And then they go to town. Uh, across the bottom, it says Microfun TM, the Computer Entertainment Division of Microlab Incorporated. And then across the top of the box, it says the multi-level arcade skill game takes an historic leap backwards. This drove me crazy <laughs> because uh, it's obviously should be takes a historic leap. Now, uh, I, maybe I'm being a little pedantic here, but... Um, you know, when, when it comes to using a or an, uh, most people will tell you it is a, unless, uh, it appears in front of a vowel. So you would say, uh, you know, a banana or an apple, right? Um, but the, it's not a hard set rule. And really what it is, is if the word following it has a consonant sound. So, um, if you were to say something, you wouldn't say it is a honor. You could say it's an honor. It's an honor uh, because you don't say the H. So I'm not really sure 
why it says take an historic leap, because if you read it, it doesn't sound right. <laughs> you would say takes a historic leap backwards. Um, so yeah, that, that bugged me, <laughs> jumped out at me. And then of course, at the bottom of the artwork, it does say by David Schroeder. Um, you know, this is a time and I'll, I'll talk more about this, but this is a time where a lot of games were made by one person and it's great to see that one person get the credit right there on the cover. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, you say, Hey, this is grand theft auto and here's the 850 or thousand people that worked on it or whatever. Um, you know, I mean, this is, it says it's a game by this guy and uh microphone is just the publisher. So, uh, kudos to them for listing David's name right there on the cover. The backside of the box uh, basically explains the entire game along with uh, showing some screenshots of the gameplay. <sighs> Underneath the title Dino Eggs, it says, All you wanted to do was leap back in time to the Mesozoic era and see what the prehistoric life was like. But unfortunately, you also brought along a case of 21st century measles and contaminated all the dinosaurs. Has your blunder doomed the dinos? Not if you can dig up enough dino eggs and carry them safely back to your time warp. But this monumental task becomes even more difficult when you encounter the dino's natural enemies. Squirming proto-snakes, crawling protopedes, falling proto-spiders. To avoid them, you must climb, leap, jump, and run all over the cliffs where the dino eggs are buried. Each cliff challenges you with a different set of deadly creatures. And you can progress through nine... Progress? I guess you can progress, progress, <laughs> progress. You can progress through nine skill levels. The higher you go, the more often the crawly, squirmy creatures rush at you. One more small problem. If you fail to gather wood and kindle a fire, the lady who laid the eggs may step in. And when Dino Mom puts her foot down, Dino Mom really puts her foot down. Are you quick enough to sidestep Dino Mom's 10-ton stomp? Agile enough to dodge the radioactive snakes and spiders? Can you save the dinosaurs from extinction? Climb into the dino eggs time warp and find out if you can hack it in the good old days. So, I mean, that's a really good description. I don't always read um, the verbiage that appears on the box, but I really like that one. You know, it really sets the, the scene. It tells you the whole story, what's going on, that you're this time traveler, that you have to rescue the egg. It tells you what the enemies you're going to face, and it t really tells you what the goal of the game is. So I really enjoyed that. Um, the manual that's included in the game, uh, again, gives some more um uh, information and talks more about how Time Master Tim came back from 2047 AD, which is um, 26 years from now. So, hey, we all have something to look forward to. So he was going back to visit the dinosaurs and then unfortunately infected them with measles. And so his goal is to gather all the dinosaur eggs and transfer them back to the future. Now, I don't really know what transferring them back to the future how that will help the dinosaurs or the dino eggs. Maybe there's a cure for dinosaur egg measles in the year 2047, which seems like a strange thing for some person in the future to be working on a <laughs> cure for measles for dinosaurs. But, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't have to make sense. It just has to be a fun game. And this is definitely a fun game. 
when you boot up the game, uh, it comes up to a title screen that is just in plain text. Uh, in the, uh, in fact, it's all purple and it says micro fun presents dino eggs starring time master Tim press space. And then when you press space, it will continue to load. And at the bottom, it says copyright 1983 by David at Schroeder. H. Schroeder, excuse me, and Commodore version by Leonard Bertoni. So you press space bar and it continues to load. And then we get the menu screen, which the background shows the layout of the game. You know, basically it's a, a short demo of the game. And there's a giant rock that falls down from the top that says Dino Eggs, copyright 1983, D. Schroeder, and L. Bertoni. And the font that's used on there looks like, you know, what you would imagine the old caveman, uh, you know, chisel font where someone has chiseled these letters into this giant rock. So that's kind of a nice touch. To play the game, you will need a joystick and the controls are pretty simple. You just run left and right. You go up and down. There's little uh, ladders. You know, it's basically a platform game. So you just run around uh, using the joystick. The button will jump and you can jump left and right. Or if you're standing still and press the button, you will jump straight up and down. Uh, and then if you press the button and pull down, you will perform other functions. So basically anything that's not jumping. So to pick up eggs, that would be button and down the same thing to operate the time warp, uh, to move the logs around for the fire. Basically anything that's not jumping is button and pulled down at the same time. Now, again, uh, this may sound a little complicated as I get started. So, uh, because there's a lot going on on every level, but the goal of each level of this game is to, save all the eggs, to pick up all the eggs and transport them uh, from the Mesozoic era to modern times or to 2047 in the future. Uh, you can only pick up three eggs at a time. And so essentially what you're going to be doing is running around, picking up three eggs at a time, getting into your little time warp, and then warping into the future and then returning back. So uh, the play field consists of four levels of platforms and I think this is a feature that is under uh, promoted in this game. And that is that the levels are randomly generated. So every time you play this game, it's different. And I really appreciate that. You know, I play a lot of Donkey Kong. I play, you know, that's one of my go-to games. I play, uh, you know, I just recently streamed Double Dragon. These are games that every time you play them, they're identical. You know, I mean, uh, you know, obviously... In Donkey Kong, the barrels might go down a different path or something, but there are patterns that you can learn uh, for each level, you know? And so I like the fact that in 1983, you would have bought this game and every time you played it, it was a little bit different. So you're really getting a uh, good value for your money. Um, when the game starts, there's a lot of things on each level. So number one is the time portal and that's a little glowing box and that's what you uh, start out in and uh, you'll be returning to that for a couple of different reasons. You'll return to that if uh, you've been bit or damaged by one of the creatures we'll encounter. And you also return to that once you've saved up or picked up three eggs and you need to transfer them to the future. And then you'll go back in there, you hold the button and press down, you will warp to the future and then you will come back and the time portal will, will appear somewhere else randomly uh, on the screen. The next thing you'll see are dinosaur eggs. Again, they can appear in little batches of one, two, or three, but the key is that you can pick up three at a time. Now, if you don't pick them up in time, 
the eggs will start to hatch. It kind of reminds me of joust and little baby dinosaurs will come out. The baby dinosaurs, um, if you, you have to jump over them and it creates a little miniature time warp and they get trapped in that. And then the next time that you warp off the level, it takes them along uh, with you. So, uh, I think on other versions, you may have to do something. You may have to jump over and hit another button or something, but on the commoner version, all you have to do is leap over them. And that captures the little baby dinosaurs. If you touch the dinosaurs, you infect them and they die. So you don't want to touch the little baby dinosaurs. Uh, the next thing you'll see are these boulders. There are large boulders hanging down underneath all the platforms and uh, the boulders could be used in two ways. Well, they, they need to be used in two ways. Number one is if you go stand over a boulder and again, press the button and pull down, you will drop the boulder. And if there are creatures underneath you, like snakes or spiders or something like that, uh, it will crush them. So think of it like Dig Dug, where you're dropping a rock on uh, enemies that are below you. Uh, but the other thing is underneath the boulders can be more dino eggs. And there's a big penalty for leaving dino eggs behind on each level. You definitely want to collect all the eggs. So as you're running around the level, you want to drop every single boulder and check underneath them for eggs. Another thing you will see are bits of firewood. Usually you'll see uh, three or four logs of firewood. Now, firewood is very important because there's a very strong enemy that you will face. And we'll talk about uh, the uh, mama dino here in just a moment. But uh, by starting a fire, you can keep the mama dino away. And the way that you start a fire is by grabbing any two logs and putting them on top of each other. And that will start a fire. Now, when you start a fire, underneath the fire, there will be a number. It starts at nine and it counts all the way down to one. When it gets to zero, the fire goes out. So what you could do is when it gets down to one, you could grab another log and go throw it on the fire and that will restart the counter all the way back up to nine. So this is another thing that you'll have to do while you're juggling all these other tasks. Um, there's another item that appears in later levels. Uh, it's this little flower and you can pick it up. Now, Normally, you can only carry three eggs at a time. Again, you have to run all over this platform. I mean, there might be 20 eggs on a level. You get three, go into your little time travel booth, jump out, jump back in, uh, and go get more eggs. If you pick up this little flower, which is it's called the power flower, uh, you can carry an unlimited amount of eggs. That seems like a good idea, but as the game progresses, it gets a lot harder, and anytime that you get touched by an enemy, which we're about to talk about, uh, all the eggs that you're holding get spoiled. They get contaminated and they're instantly ruined. So if you're carrying, you know, 10 eggs, that that's uh, not going to be good for your score. So let's talk about the bad guys that are roaming around. So, you know, I mean, it's already complicated enough, right? You're getting eggs, you're starting fires, uh, you're getting this flower power thing, you're jumping in out of a time thing. It would be hard enough to do uh, without the enemies, but you're going to see four total different enemies. The first are snakes, which are called proto-snakes. <laughs> uh, snakes basically slither in one direction. Uh, they either go left to right or right to left, so they stay on the platform level that they're on. Again, there's four levels, and they will just go left to right and just wrap around the screen and go and go and go. And eventually they will disappear and other ones will reappear. And uh, as you go further uh, into the game, 
there will be more snakes on each level. Now, snakes can be stopped by a fire. If they hit a fire, they will disappear and you'll get a point. Um, I mean, and you can also jump them, which doesn't kill them, but they're pretty easy to jump. It's not like you have to be exact, you know, in the exact right pixel to jump. There's a little bit of leeway there. Uh, then there are also spiders or proto spiders. I don't know that they spent a lot of time coming up with the names of these enemies. Now the spiders patrol the top part of the game area and make webs and then drop straight down on their spider webs. And so now, if you can imagine this, while you're running around this platform, you got to watch for snakes that are moving left to right, and now you got to watch for spiders that are moving top to bottom. Um, you can jump through a spider web if you're above where the spider is, and it will break the web, and you will get a point for that. Um, but, uh, well, let's talk about the third. There are proto centipedes or protopedes, as they are mentioned in the manual. Uh, these can appear on a couple of different levels. They can either be at ground level, like at your feet or just above your head, which means you can run underneath them. But if you jump, your head will hit it. Now, the centipedes move much faster than the other enemies, and they don't start for a few levels, uh, but they greatly complicate things. Now, if any of these things touch you, you are now contaminated. Um, once you're contaminated, number one, if you're carrying any eggs, they've just been ruined. So all those eggs are now trash and they just disappear from your inventory. But number two, you have a health meter and it starts counting down and it counts down not super fast, but pretty fast. Uh, at that point, you really have to stop what you're doing and go touch the time travel portal, uh, which will stop the contamination and, you have to stand there for a minute. It will heal your your uh, uh, level back up to a hundred percent. Once you've been contaminated, you can also touch something else that, to get like double contaminated. When that happens, you're basically going to die uh, because the counter just starts counting twice as fast. So if you're not standing within a few inches of the time traveling portable portal, you're not going to make it. <laughs> you're not going to make it there uh, before you die. Of course, you don't. I mean, I guess you don't technically die. You experience D evolution and you turn into one of the spiders and then crawl off. Uh, I have to say that the animation of the spiders I really enjoyed in this game. The snakes um, are pretty simple, just up and down, you know, woo, 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 just going across like that. Uh, and the centipedes uh, don't really look a whole lot like, I mean, they, they, I guess they look like centipedes, but they don't, there's not a lot of animation to them, but I really did enjoy uh, the animation of the spiders as they walked around and prepared to uh, make a web and drop down on you. So the last enemy that you will face is the dino mom. Now there is a little status bar at the bottom and, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But uh, uh, if you watch that at some point, it will say dino mom's coming. And when that happens, you better look out because dino mom's foot is about somewhere between a fourth and a third of the width of the screen. It is gigantic and it comes down fast and out of nowhere. And if you are underneath it, it will smush you and you are dead. <laughs> it happens very quickly. So the only way to prevent that from happening is to have the fire going. So if you have the fire, the dino mom will not be stomping. And so uh, the problem is if you don't get the fire going first, 
when she starts stomping, it will stomp like every five to 10 seconds. Uh, and it's very difficult to remain alive when, when uh, that starts happening. Uh, you kind of, the, the easiest technique I found was staying close to the edge because the game wraps around the screen. So for example, if you hug the left hand side as much as possible and the foot starts coming down, uh, if you're quick enough, you can jump, you know, go left off the screen and you'll appear over on the right hand side and you can avoid it. But, um, you know, sometimes the only ladders are in the middle of the screen. And, and again, once uh, she starts stomping, uh, you're going to be in trouble. So it, sometimes it's too late at that point to even bother uh, starting a fire. So uh, on the bottom of the screen, to help you keep track of all these things going on, there are four separate boxes on the far left is your life meter. So hopefully it says a hundred percent, but if you get bit by a snake or a spider or a centipede, uh, it will say you're contaminated and it will start counting down uh, and you can watch it go down. Uh, so you want to get to the time traveling portal before it hits zero, or you will, uh, not live to see another day. <laughs> uh, the second little box shows how many eggs you're carrying. And, uh, I don't really know that I ever lost track of that mentally because the minute you pick up, you know, eggs, you immediately run to the time traveling thing. So, but you know, I suppose if you're running around, you, you might forget. I, that was probably the, the thing I looked at the least. Uh, the third is a little status bar and that, uh, tells you like when you're warping, uh, if you know, if it, it may suggest, Hey, it's time to start a fire. It'll say dino mom is coming. Um, you know, if you run into a fire, you started and you die, it'll say burnt to death. <laughs> so some are more useful than others. Uh, some uh, tell you what's about to happen and some tell you uh, what just happened. But while you're playing, you got to get used to watching that little status bar down there. And then on the far right, uh, is your score. And this is a very low scoring game. Uh, it, it deals a lot with, uh, you know, points like one point for things or whatever. In fact, uh, from the uh, manual here, each enemy that you kill is worth one point. Um, when you abandon, if you, uh, so I should, I should mention this when you're done with a level, you get into the time machine with no eggs and then you transport and it says, are you ready to leave this cliff? And if you do that, you exit the level and you move on to the next level. So uh, you could immediately just, I mean, at the beginning of the level, level one, you could go right to level two if you wanted or three or four, but you're going to get a lot of penalties and points. Um, but if you, so the idea is that you would do that after you've collected all the eggs. So uh, if you leave behind any eggs, when you transport off the last time, you lose one point uh, for each egg that you've left behind. If one of those eggs is hatched and there's a little baby dinosaur, you lose 10 points per dinosaur that's left. So that, uh, you really don't want to do, uh, you lose one point per egg that you get poisoned. Uh, so anytime you're, you're walking, like if you have, you're carrying three eggs and you get contaminated, those eggs are ruined and you lose three points for that. Um, if you contaminate one of the baby dinosaurs, you lose three points. So if there's a baby dinosaur and you touch it, you lose three points. Um, now the good news, you get two points for every egg that you save. So each egg that you successfully move into the transport and move back to the future. 
Uh, if you save the baby dinosaurs, I believe you get six points for the first one and then two points for each additional one that you save after that. So the next one's eight, the next one's 10, so on and so forth. Um, if there's a baby dinosaur and the spider kills it, uh, that's the same as abandoning it. That's a 10 point loss. And then when you, if you successfully complete the level, you get all the eggs and you transport away, you get a 10 point bonus. Now this game, uh, has nine levels built in. And so after level nine, it just repeats, but repeat is not really the right word because it's randomly drawing the screen. So it's the same skill level, but it, you know, the platforms are going to be set up. So it's essentially playing like the game at the hardest level over, you know, over and over. But, uh, after you beat level nine, those levels are worth 50 points. So that's where you can really, uh, start to build up your score. You do get a bonus man at 200 points. Um, I'm not sure that I ever got one. <laughs> My scores were not usually, uh, that high, but I did look up, on uh, retrocomputerscene.com and the registered high score for dino eggs is 1,756. So that's a pretty good score. I didn't, like I said, I'm not sure that I got an extra man at 200. So, um, you know, almost 1,800 points is a a pretty good score. You'd have to uh, uh, get to level nine and play it, uh, you know, over and over at that level multiple times uh, to be able to get a score that high. So, trivia about this game, and this is listed again on Moby Games, is in 1984, Microfun and Electronic Games Magazine ran a contest alongside an ad for the game that said you can win a date with a dino. And this was again given away uh, by Microfun and Electronic Games, and it was called Live Your Game Sweepstakes. And the grand prize was an exciting trip for three to Chicago's world-famous Field Museum of Natural History. Now, side story, I have been to the museum or the Field Museum many times. Uh, It is right next to the Museum of Science and Industry. And so a lot of times if you go to one, you go to the other. And when you walk in, there's a huge display of dinosaur dinosaur bones and stuff. And it's, uh, uh, as a kid, going to Chicago and getting to go to the Field Museum was very exciting. So uh, whoever won this contest or the sweepstakes was a pretty lucky kid, I would say. Uh, it says you could go behind the scenes with the museum's dinosaur experts and join them for lunch, learn all about the prehistoric world of these reptilian monsters, and get a genuine fossil from the dinosaur age to take home. I mean, this is pretty awesome. And I looked and looked. I really did spend some time, and I was not able to find uh, who won this. And if it was a kid, maybe they didn't release their name or something like that. But uh, uh, again, I mean, how exciting is that? It finally says, uh, this is all free for you and two guests. Round trip airfare between your hometown and Chicago, airport limousine pickup and drop off in Chicago, four days, three nights and a first class hotel room, $300 in pocket money. And then it says $100 each, <laughs> which still is going to buy you a lot of sliders and hot dogs in Chicago. So that's all right. Uh, guided sightseeing tour of Chicago, which includes the Sears Tower, the world's tallest building, private visit to the headquarters of Microfun, maker of Dino Eggs and other entertaining computer games with a personal escort. So that is pretty awesome. And that appeared in Electronic Games Magazine, 
February 1984. So again, I don't know who won that contest, but man, that would have been a nice thing to win. Uh, and uh, a great contest went with a great game. I looked on Lemon 64, and Lemon 64 has a rating of 8.3 for this game, which is pretty high for Lemon 64. Um, I didn't find a lot of ratings in older magazines, but uh, uh, modern reviews are very complimentary of this game. A lot of people played this game as a kid uh, and have positive memories of it both then and now. Now, this game was originally written on the Apple II, and it was ported to both the Commodore 64 uh, and to Moby Games list this as a PC booter. I just say it's a old DOS game, but uh, the Apple II was the original version, and the colors are very similar to the Commodore 64 version. It appears that the Commodore 64 was basically a very literal direct port of the Apple II version. Uh, it has a few slight differences in coding. I, I actually played the Apple II version this week. Uh, the snakes are a little faster, and uh, the way that he jumps is a little different. But for the most part, uh, the game is, <laughs> they are unmistakably the same game. Uh, and then you have the DOS version, which is a very old DOS game, again, 1983, which means it is CGA graphics. Uh, you get that light blue cyan color. You get purple and black and white. The graphics are not as good as the other two versions, and all the sound comes from the PC speaker. In fact, um, I would say the biggest advantage the Commodore 64 version has over the other two is in the sound department. Uh, the gameplay is similar on all three versions, and uh, graphically, the Apple II and the Commodore 64 version look very similar, but uh, the Apple sound really doesn't sound as good as the Commodore 64. So, um, But, you know, you wouldn't be a disservice playing either of those versions. Now, if you want to play this game today, obviously we have lots of uh, emulation solutions on the Commodore 64, but I did want to mention that this game was rebooted by the original author. David Schroeder released a new updated version called Dino Eggs Rebirth. And uh, you can... Uh, I will have a link to that in the show notes, but... Uh, it has been added to Steam, and it's $9.99 on Steam. So I thought this was a very fun game. I haven't purchased it on Steam, but I did see that the Steam version uh, is has been updated. There's new enemies. There's new levels. Uh, the graphics are updated. So uh, there's a lot of new uh, – I mean – I, you know, I can't compare it. My initial knee-jerk reaction is to compare it to like these itch.io Commodore 64 releases that are often two or three dollars. So nine ninety-nine in one way sounds a little high. In reality, ten bucks for a fun game is not that expensive. So uh, if you like Dino Eggs and, and you want to play a modern version that will run on your PC, go check out Dino Eggs Rebirth. I looked on eBay and I could not find any uh, copies of this game currently for sale. But under uh, completed auctions, I did find a complete version for the Apple II that sold not too long ago for $60. And a version for the Commodore 64 that with shipping was $85. So uh, it does seem like this is a pretty valuable vintage title for people. I'm sure that... Uh, uh, there aren't that many complete copies still out there, and uh, if you put one up, it looks like there's some people that really enjoy the game that are willing to pay for it. Uh, and now let's talk about my personal memories of Dino Eggs. All right, time travelers, seatbelts fastened, look, the doorway to the past. 
So Dino Eggs is a game that I definitely played as a kid growing up with my Commodore 64. The problem, as I have mentioned before, is that I got my Commodore in 1985. This is a 1983 title. So I would have been comparing it to titles that were coming out in 85 and, and probably 86. So it would have looked a little dated to me at that time. I will say the the thing that I enjoyed the most about it was learning that it was one of those games that was just made by a single person, you know? And I think there's something that's lost in, I mean, I'm not dogging all modern games. That would be silly, but you know, a, a lot of games that I get now, I mean, I just recently bought a, a new game on steam and people are saying, Oh yeah, it's a, it's a short one. You can play through it in 10 or 20 hours. You know, I don't always have 10 or 20 hours. And a lot of these smaller games, that were created by a single person. I mean, there's a general idea. And, and once you see the first level, you get it, you know? And so that's kind of how Dino eggs is, is that once you see the first level, you could just keep playing through the game. And of course, uh, later levels, you get a few more enemies or, or, uh, you know, more eggs or things like that. But essentially once you've seen the first level, you understand everything about the game, you know? Uh, but it just reminds me of that time, that early home computing time where a single person, could write a game, send it to a publisher, and, you know, hopefully have a hit. And I, I'm assuming that uh, Dino Eggs sold pretty well and was a hit. I mean, there's a lot of people that remember this game and uh, enjoyed it. I do remember – now, I I did play this as a kid on the Apple II. You know, I had an Apple II before we had the Commodore 64. And I was a little disappointed in seeing that – it looks almost like a direct port of the Apple II, down to the point that the colors uh, are unmistakably using the Apple II's palette. You know, that it has the orange, it has, uh, uh, you know, the black and white, the green, and the purple. You know, so it's that Apple II kind of palette. And whenever I see that, you know, I always think, like, I mean, the Commodore owners were always saying, you know, hey, we have the best graphics. Hey, we have the best sound. And so to see a game that's identical to the Apple II, I wish they had, you know, instead of just doing a straight conversion, they'd used a little bit more of, uh, uh, you know, the Commodore's uh, abilities. But that being said, this game is so much fun that it really doesn't make a difference. It's not, you know, that was that was young me that was offended or whatever by that, uh, you know, older me looking back and playing this game. Now this game is super fun. Uh, it's not one that has been in my regular rotation, but it's definitely going to be moved into regular rotation for those quick little gaming sessions. So I'm definitely glad that I revisited it and I'm looking forward to playing it even more now. For graphics, I give Dino Eggs 3 out of 5 campfires. The graphics uh, do the job, but again, it would have been better if it had taken advantage of some of the Commodore 64's uh, capabilities. For music, I give uh, Dino Eggs 2 out of 5 campfires. Uh, there's only a small bit of music before each level. There's not in-game or in-level music, so not too much music there. For sound effects, I give Dino Eggs 4 out of 5 campfires. Not because the sound effects are great quality, but because there's all kinds of little 
sound cues that tell you what's going on. And the more you play this, you'll hear the sound when the little dinosaurs hatch. You'll hear the sound uh, when you know different enemies are coming and things are happening. And the more you listen closely, uh, the game just does a good job of warning you what's happening uh, with sound. So that's why I gave it such a high rating. Overall gameplay, I give Dino Eggs 4 out of 5 campfires. Uh, it's very fun. Uh, it's slightly confusing the first time you play, and you just have to figure out what all the little things do. So read the manual and give it a shot. But once you do that, I think you will, like me, return back to this simple but pretty fun platform game. Again for tuning into Sprite Castle. If you'd like to send me feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore, follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts, or catch me hanging out on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server. You can also leave me a voicemail at the Flack Podcast Hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. If you'd like to support this show and gain access to behind-the-scenes blog posts and other bonus features, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara to learn more. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, the Sprite Castle RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com, and through the Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows at podcast.robohara.com. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites, such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to stomping and chomping, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle.